0: Business Commission meeting on July 24th, 2023. The meeting is being called to order at 431 p.m. This meeting is being held in person in City Hall room 400 and broadcast live on SFGov TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. The Small Business Commission thanks media services and SFGovTV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGovTV2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public who will be calling in the number is 415-655-0001. The access code is 26649937037 followed by password 7221. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comment is called, you'll be added to the queue. When it's your time to speak, you will be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker. An alarm will sound once time is finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide.
1: Today, we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. Before item one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGov TV for
0: coordinating this virtual hearing and helping to run the meeting. Please call item one. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson is absent. Commissioner Gregory. Present. 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 Commissioner Herbert is absent. President Huey. Here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Here. Vice President Cizunas. Present. President, you have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you.
1: The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples.
0: Please call item two. Item two, approval of legacy business registry applications and resolutions. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve legacy business registry applications. Presenting before you is Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager with the Office of Small Business. Thank you. Welcome, Richard.
2: Good afternoon, President Yui, Vice President Suzunas, commissioners, city staff, members of the public. I'm Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager. I WOULD LIKE TO ACKNOWLEDGE MICHELLE REYNOLDS, MY COLLEAGUE IN THE OFFICE OF SMALL BUSINESS WHO ASSISTS WITH THE PROCESSING OF LEGACY BUSINESS REGISTRY APPLICATIONS. TV. I HAVE A POWERPOINT PRESENTATION. BEFORE YOU TODAY ARE SEVEN APPLICATIONS FOR YOUR CONSIDERATION FOR THE LEGACY BUSINESS REGISTRY. EACH APPLICATION INCLUDES A STAFF REPORT, A DRAFT RESOLUTION, THE APPLICATION ITSELF, AND DOCUMENTS FROM THE PLANNING DEPARTMENT. The applications were submitted to planning on June 22nd and heard by the Historic Preservation Commission on July 19th. Item 2A is Adventure Cat Sailing Charters. The business provides private and public catamaran sailing tours of San Francisco Bay on two custom-built sailing catamarans, Adventure Cat 1 and Adventure Cat 2, that hold 47 and 90 passengers, respectively. Adventure Cat 1 was hand-built by the three founders of the business who put in 10,000 person hours to construct the catamaran. After receiving full U.S. Coast Guard certification, they kicked off operation out of Pier 40 in 1991. Adventure Cat moved to Pier 39 in 1997. Today, the business hosts around 40,000 guests per year and, due to the constant winds on the bay, spends about 95% of the time under sail, power, or loan. The core feature tradition the business must maintain to remain on the Legacy Business Registry is sailing cruises of San Francisco Bay. Item 2B is Delano Nursery, Inc. The business is the largest wholesale provider of interior plants in San Francisco with a wholesale center at the San Francisco Flower Market, a wholesale nursery in Daly City, and an online shop called Bunk Ask Plants. Delano Nursery was established in San Francisco in 1922 and has been owned by three generations of the Nicolini family. In 2022, present owner John Nicolini transferred 50%, 15% ownership to longtime employee Lauren Borden, a queer woman who has been running the business for the last few years. They plan to co-own the business. Delano nursery does not believe in rare plant harvesting in a way that can damage or endanger species. They're rare plants are source from nurseries propagating mother plants and successfully greenhouse grown whenever possible. They source compostable non-plastic packaging and nursery supplies and strive to be ever more conscious about how they run their business. Small steps create lasting changes over time. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is Flower Shop Garden Center. Item 2C is the Dubliner. The business is a neighborhood sports bar in Noe Valley established in 1987. The Dubliner features a comfortable ambiance with classic wood decor and soft warm lighting. Live games and sports news are shown on large screen televisions throughout the bar. As a popular gathering space for locals and tourists, the business offers trivia nights, daily drink specials, and full bar catering. Over the years, three additional locations of the Dubliner were opened throughout the city. The three additional locations have been sold to different owners and have not retained the same name, except for West Portal, which goes by the name the Dubliner West Portal, and would not be included on the Legacy Business Registry under this application today the dubliner remains in its original location serving locals and tourists as one of the few bars in the noe valley area the core feature tradition the business must maintain is bar item 2d is ellie and eva company the business is a second generation neighborhood music store well known for their extensive collection of chinese classical instruments Vintage, one-of-a-kind American and Japanese electric guitars, music memorabilia, and traditional Chinese pinwheels that symbolize good fortune. They also carry high-quality, reasonably-priced instruments such as violins, cellos, and guitars designed for young, first-time players, and plenty of ukuleles, flutes, harmonicas, tuners, and accessories. The business was established in 1970 and was eventually combined with a second business by the same owners that was established in 1972. Ellie and Eva Company is committed to the Chinese community and helps to pass on Chinese traditions and cultures to the new generations. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is music and gift store. Item 2E is Enclosures International Corporation. The business is a full-service custom crating, packing, shipping, and storage specialist established in 1977. Enclosures International is trusted by antique dealers, collectors, curators, interior designers, private owners, and auction houses that that have, um, due to their highly trained team. Um, have extensive experience handling antiques, fine arts, pianos, furniture, and heirlooms. With competitively priced services, decades of experience, and the industry's leading techniques for custom creating and materials for packing, Enclosures International is the premier choice for transporting your treasures safely to anywhere in the world. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is packing and shipping store. Item 2F is Frascati's restaurant. Frascati restaurant. The business is an Italian style bistro established in 1986 and located in Russian Hill. Frascati's friendly and comfortable tri level restaurant features warm colors, high ceilings, antique light fixtures, and street views of cable cars clanging up and down Hyde Street. The natural light and energetic atmosphere all convey a lively spirit. Their cuisine is inspired from Italian roots with strong French, Spanish, and Californian influences. The menu shifts frequently to u- utilize the best and freshest ingredients any season has to offer. Also, they pride themselves on all of their house-made desserts and ice creams, as well as their eclectic wine list. The business participates in Russian Hill neighborhood events and serves as a member of Russian Hill neighbors. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is restaurant featuring Italian-inspired cuisine. Item 2G is Underglass Custom Framing. The business is a custom picture framing shop and gallery space established in 1985 and currently located in the Castro neighborhood. Underglass Custom Framing takes pride in the fact that all the past and current owners were and are members of the LGBTQ community. Their experienced framers and artistic designers help customers make perfect decisions because they care for you and your art. Whether you have a family photo, an exquisite piece of art, your favorite team jersey, or a sentimental little piece you would like to have framed, or if you are are a gallerist, artist, or interior designer, Underglass Custom Framing has the right framing solution for you. The business also features a gallery space used to host art shows providing a platform for emerging artists. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is picture frame store. All seven businesses met the criteria required for listing on the Legacy Business Registry and all seven received a positive recommendation from the Historic Preservation Commission. Legacy Business Program staff recommends adding the businesses to the registry and has drafted seven resolutions for your consideration. A motion in support of the businesses should be framed as a motion in favor of the resolutions. Thank you. This concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. There are business representatives in the room and possibly online who would like to speak on behalf of the applications during public comment.
1: Wonderful, thank you so much. That's a, let's see, um, commissioners, any questions so far? No, well, we would love to hear from um, from all of you. So um, can we open it up for public
0: comment? If uh, speakers want to just line up to your right and then come up to the microphone, you are welcome. <laughs>
1: And, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> somebody's got to go
3: first. <laughs> I don't want to cut the line no. oh. Hi, I'm Rebecca Rader. This is my husband, John. We are the owners of Friscotti Restaurant. We are working owners. He does all the, um, the regular menu and the wine list, and I'm the pastry chef with the desserts. We've had the restaurant for 17 out of 37 years, and, uh... We really just would like to thank you for considering us in this program, as well as all of the other businesses that are here, because San Francisco is a really great city and we could really use some positivity right now. We miss places, um, you know, like Beach Blanket Babylon, the Cliff House, uh, the Black and White Ball, and like Tony Bennett said. You know, he left his heart in San Francisco. There was a reason for that. So I hope we can advertise all these wonderful people. Thank you for thinking of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) Uh,
5: Good evening. My name is uh, Bill Perez. I'm with Enclosures International. Uh, I have been working there. I established a company in 1977. uh, And uh, WE HAVE BEEN IN THE SAME NEIGHBORHOOD, WE ARE WITHIN ONE AND A HALF MILES OF THE CORNER OF CESAR CHAVEZ AND THIRD STREET AND uh, WE EMPLOY PEOPLE FROM OUR DISTRICT AND SUPPLIERS, WE USE SUPPLIERS FROM OUR DISTRICT. THERE IS NOT MUCH TO SAY ABOUT IT. I AM SEMI-RETIRED, OUR GRANDSON, MY WIFE CAROL HERE, MY GRANDSON NICHOLAS IS NOW RUNNING THE BUSINESS AND I come in a couple days a week to help them out uh, when need be. Thank you very much for considering us. Thank you.
1: Thank thank you.
6: Good afternoon. Um, I wanted to start off by saying thank you to Rick and his team for supporting us, and uh, Supervisor uh, Peskin in his office for also supporting us. Uh, my name is Lillian, and I'm um, the youngest of five. Uh, my parents, Louise and Kenneth, are the founders of Elys and Eva Company um, since 1970. Um, as growing up in Chinatown, I remember that uh, our shop was the coolest because it was kind of like the emporium in Chinatown because they sold many different products, different stages, all imported from Hong Kong and and China. Um, They really want to instill the richness of our heritage, our culture and tradition, and uh, my parents continued to work really hard to provide for the uh, family and keep the business afloat, but they always kept busy with promoting concerts, Chinese opera, just trying to really promote the uh, tradition. Um, today, we, uh, after 53 years of all these products and so forth, finally my dad at 2013 decided maybe it was time to retire. My brother Alan stepped up and said, you know, I have a different plan. So now both of them are jamming a different tune. They are selling musical instruments at 709 Jackson, Eli and Eva. And um, it's just a, a way to continue our tradition by selling and promoting uh, Chinese instrumental uh, instruments. Um, and my father, who's right there, uh, he has a, a trip plan to continue in ordering because he handpicks out his instruments. So we're hoping that uh, with this program, it will also aid my brother to continue the journey. And, uh, and we'll be very honored for... Um, for your approval of all the businesses to be part of San Francisco history and keep San Francisco strong. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Good afternoon. Uh, my name is uh, Kenneth Ning Leung, a founder for and Eva Company. Today is special day for your support for Ellie and Eva Company. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
7: Good afternoon. I'm Frank Skillman. I'm an artist, musician, and writer, and I was introduced to Ellie and Eva Company in the early 80s while shopping for Chinese New Year gifts for family and friends. And I've been a regular customer ever since. I go there for picks, strings, musical accessories, and am always welcome there and amazed by uh, their collection of uh, everything from traditional Chinese instruments to uh, hand signed electric guitars. Uh, I think I take my friends there when they come from out of town. It's truly an eclectic and unique place in San Francisco and in the world. Uh, And I support the store being a legacy business in San Francisco. Thank you.
4: Good afternoon. My name is Andrew Wong. I'm a native of San Francisco. Our family owned the floors of lockdown from Mr. Leung's. Each day I would walk by in my younger years and he would always have a kind word for me and always a piece of candy. Through these years, he's also taken the time in my early days to teach me about Chinese classical musical instruments, as well as lion dancing. That's L-I-O-N, not (laughs) L-I-N-E. And to this day, I still lion dance. So at 66, what he instilled in me, I'm still doing today. I want to emphasize Through these years, he has always supported and encouraged the youth of Chinatown to further their knowledge in music and culture. These threads of what Mr. Leung's business has makes San Francisco, San Francisco, the diversity, and makes it the city. This honor of being on the Legacy Business Registry is so deserving of this business. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, My name is Charlie Bogue. I'm the general manager for Adventure Cat Sailing. I just want to add thank you for your time and and thank you to Supervisor Peskin's office, Rick's office for for the work and helping us uh, in this process. And I'm here on behalf of also Jay Gardner and and Pam Simonson, who is a husband and wife team who started Adventure Cat 32 years ago. Um, And they will tell you it's a a labor of love. They literally built the first boat and it continues to be a labor of love. But um, we're proud to share sailing on San Francisco with locals and tourists alike, but also really proud to employ locals. So we employ about 15 to 20 uh, people who do live in the area um, and continue to learn about boats. We try and share the boats with uh, youth groups and camps and all sorts of educational side as well. Uh, So we thank you for uh, your assistance, and we look forward to many, many years on the Bay. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
8: Hi. Good afternoon. Um, I'm Eric Funk. I'm one of the owners of Underglass Custom Framing. We've been around 38 years, but I kind of feel like a newbie. These guys have been here for <laughs> forever, so we hope to be around as long as um, these other businesses. Thank you very much for your time and considering us to be on the Legacy Business Registry. Thank you, Rick, and thank you to Supervisor Mendelman as well <clears throat> for really making it an easy process for us. Um, Underglass framing, I don't know if you've ever had anything framed before, it isn't necessarily inexpensive. So um, when people decide to take, or to make that investment, we realize that it really is something of value and it's consequential to them and it's a myriad of things. It's, it's really a lot more than a business because they entrust you with these things that are priceless, there, there's not going to be another one of them, children's pictures, weddings, births. It's a wide variety of things. And so we really do um, encapsulate those things in housings to last a lifetime. And it's really a great honor not only to be entrusted with everyone's precious things, but um, also to um Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But also to um, uh, be able to let them have it and enjoy that for the rest of their lives and be able to hang it on the wall. So, once again, thank you very much for doing this for all of us and for the other legacy businesses. It really does mean a lot um, to know that somebody's behind small businesses in San Francisco. It's really important. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, speakers on the line, press star three to be added to the queue. There are no speakers online. Okay. Is there
1: anyone else in the room who would like to speak? Just in case. <laughs> okay, great. Um, public comment is closed. Um, commissioners, any comments, questions? Oh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartania.
5: Thank you, President. I want to appreciate all the small business owners that came out today. Only you know the plight of small business. You have a sympathetic ear up here. We know you do it all, accounting, marketing, parents, grandparents, child, brother, sister, city advocate. So we appreciate you, and this highlights what San Francisco is. The media always paints us as this crazy town, but we're generational, like the extractors leave but we're here, we're gonna be here, and this is what makes city great. I appreciate the comment of Tony Bennett. I got to see him when he was doing, I think the 50th anniversary here, and it was amazing, and I know your spot, it's amazing, and and for you to be here and dedication to the city, everybody, this is what makes San Francisco great. Don't ever forget that, and we're not going anywhere. Thank you.
9: I don't know why it's not popping up but okay um, I also this is my favorite part about being a commissioner is the legacy businesses um, I, I love to hear the stories and what you meant for the community and the neighborhoods um, and it is uh, proof that San Francisco is a strong city and I, so I love to hear the stories thank you thank you Rick for all
10: the work thank you
1: Commissioner Zuzunas
10: yeah i would just love to say thank you again for being here joining us in the halls of our city and reminding um, everybody why we do what we do um, i love the intergenerational um, you know small businesses and and the continuity that you bring to the city so um thank you for taking the time out of your evening and um, it's really our honor to hear from you so
1: thank you Yeah, this has been. This is definitely one of my favorite um, times of our our meetings, and I really want to appreciate that all of you came out um, to to celebrate yourselves, really, and to celebrate our city. Um, Oh, one little note is that um, uh, for Ellie and Eva Company, thank you very much for um, continuing on this legacy. My daughter. played uh, Gu for a long time and to be able to see like it's interesting I kind of skipped a generation where my generation didn't get the get to learn a lot about like our his like our cultural kind of arts and different things like that but then um, my daughter now has had the opportunity to be able to like kind of pick up again in a new iteration like she actually speaks Mandarin she she, um, you know, plays a Chinese instrument, like all these things. So I, I think that's really amazing to be able to, um, to kind of see that flourishing in our communities also, so thank you. Um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of just acknowledge is that you know, what's very clear is this, um, this sense of purpose, I think, that everybody in this room has and all of the businesses that you've created and the communities that you've um, been a part of are really uh, are really working on like preserving and sustaining and growing. Is this real sense of purpose, right? It's kind of like you there. I was thinking about this today in terms of like the lines between what my personal life look, you know, where my personal life is versus my my business versus like my community life, like. They're all kind of blended together, I think, when you're a small business owner. And I think it's one of the greatest challenges, but it's one of the most beautiful parts of being a small business owner, is that you get to drive you know, full force in a very holistic kind of way. And so I, I agree that all of us here know that life, and we're here to continue to champion it and like support, you all as well as you know um, all the other small businesses that perhaps are in in baby stages right now to grow to the place where you have been so i um with all of that i i hope that all of you go home tonight and celebrate um you know the accomplishments that you've had and the milestone that this is so um congratulations and um and i'd like to see if somebody wants to make a motion. Oh, I'll <laughs> move. Sorry, <I laughs> I'll, I'll
10: move to adopt uh, all the legacy businesses on this item.
1: Thank you. Is there a second?
0: Please I play. second. <laughs> Motion by Vice President Sazuna, seconded by Commissioner Gregory. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson is absent. Commissioner Gregory. Yes. Commissioner Herbert is absent. President Huey. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz-Cartagena. Yes and Vice President Cezunas. Yes. The motion passes. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for all of your work. Yes, thank you.
2: Oh, Oh, sorry.
1: Sorry, I think the since the buttons aren't working, it's a little, um, mm-hmm. since the button wasn't working for um, Commissioner Gregory. I'm going to try and fix it when they press Oh, down. yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's why I look confused. Go ahead and just read it Oh, yeah, me.
0: feel free to um, call item. <laughs> <laughs> item item three, 3, AB 1347, solid waste, paper waste, proofs of purchase. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action on California State Assembly Bill 1347, which would, on and after January 2026, require a business, as defined, that accepts payment through cash, credit, or debit transactions to provide a consumer with the option to receive or not to receive a proof of purchase. On and after January 1, 2026, the bill would prohibit a business from printing a paper proof of purchase if the consumer opts to not receive a proof proof of purchase, unless otherwise required by state or federal law. The bill would also exempt a business from the requirements to provide the consumer with an option to not receive a proof of purchase if a consumer voluntarily opts in to receive a proof of purchase through the rules of an association, warehouse, or other club to which the consumer belongs. The bill would prohibit on and after January 1st, 2024, a paper proof of purchase provided to a consumer by a business from containing... Bisphenol A, Bisphenol A, and on and after January 2025 from containing any Bisphenols. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Um, Presenting today, we have Maria Morales from Assemblymember Phil Ting's office. Uh, She's with us remotely. And we have Hillary Neer, Commercial Zero Waste Senior Coordinator with the Office of the Environment. And I believe we can, um, oh, can you guys all see Maria on your screen? Maria, go ahead.
11: (laughs) Um, Hi, good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to present on AB 1347. Um, My name is Maria Morales. I'm a legislative aide for Assemblymember Phil Ting, who is the author of AB 1347. So I'll be presenting uh, about the bill on behalf of the member in our office. Um, AB 1347 is the culmination of a multi-year effort to reduce paper waste and protect consumers from exposure to toxic chemicals. The bill meets these two goals uh, by doing two main things. The first is to require all businesses uh, to ban the use of toxic chemicals known as bisphenols in receipts. Starting in 2024, uh, receipts cannot contain any bisphenol A, commonly known as BPA. And starting in 2025, receipts cannot contain any kind of bisphenol. The second provision would require businesses with over 25 million dollars in revenue to offer consumers the choice between a receipt and no receipt if the consumer does not want a receipt then a business cannot print one um, and this would take effect in uh, 2026 according to green america receipts uh, waste nearly three million trees 10 billion gallons of water and create 302 million pounds of waste annually in the u.s That's a lot of environmental impact for something that a consumer may not want, especially if you're just buying a pack of gum um, or getting a cup of coffee to go. Um, In addition to the environmental impact, there's a potential public health risk since many of these printed receipts contain bisphenol A, BPA, and uh, bisphenol S, BPS, which are toxic to human health and can be absorbed simply by touching receipts. The Center for uh, Disease Control and and the Environmental Working Group Uh, found that retail workers have 30% more BPA or BPS in their bodies than those who don't have regular contact with receipt paper. A recent report by the Ecology Center noted that only 1% of receipts in circulation contain BPA, while nearly 80% of receipts contain BPS. Companies like Trader Joe's, TJ Maxx, Whole Foods, In-N-Out do not have any bisphenol in their receipts, showing that there are alternatives available um, that don't have toxic chemicals. The data shows that the majority of businesses have phased out the use of BPA, but it unfortunately has been replaced by BPS. To avoid other regrettable substitutes, this bill bans the full class of bisphenols and receipts by 2025, but puts an immediate stop to the use of BPA on receipts given its limited use. Uh, This is very similar to what the state of Washington is proposing, um, since they are banning Uh, bisphenols uh, as a full class on all thermal paper Um, important to note is that this bill does not ban paper receipts nor does it infringe on a business's ability to provide a paper proof of purchase if they are legally required to do so per federal or state law it simply requires that a business ask consumer if they want a proof of purchase and if the consumer says no then it will prohibit the default printing of a receipt In April of 2022, CVS started explicitly asking customers at cash registers if they wanted a printed receipt, digital receipt, or no receipt option. And within four months, CVS saved 87 million yards of receipt paper. And this case study is kind of the impetus for this measure, as it shows that there are benefits from just asking a consumer whether or not they want a receipt and preventing the waste of resources if they don't want one. Um, But we believe that the receipt provision, which again, only like the the provision to um, ask the customer whether or not they want a receipt, um, that provision, along with the provision that would prevent the use of chemicals on the actual receipt itself, uh, protects consumers uh, from toxic chemicals and ensures that we don't expend valuable resources on a receipt that a consumer may not want and might just throw away. Um, And with that, I think we my presentation, but I'm happy to answer any questions um, about the bill.
0: Thank you. And Hillary. did you want to come up and say anything? or?
12: Yeah, thanks, Maria. Hillary Neer, I serve as the senior zero waste coordinator, commercial coordinator for our department of the environment. And grateful to be here today to talk to the commissioners about EB 1347, particularly our support related to the environmental um, impacts of and benefits, potential benefits of implementing this. Uh, first, you know it really fits in the, within the hierarchy of that we try to implement the four R's. You know, reduce first. So, uh, trying to make an option to prevent, you know, printing paper receipts, even if they may get recycled. Um, if it's within our climate action goals and the global climate action commitments we've made to reduce generation by 15% by 2030, which is a very ambitious goal for our our community, and we need every bit of material and opportunity to reduce and prevent waste. Um, Second piece is that even if it can get recycled, it actually can put our recycling infrastructure at risk, especially the presence of um, BPA and BPS that have been referenced. So, those um, do accumulate in our, in our materials recovery systems. And seventh generation recently, which is a popular household paper manufacturer, did, does test for BPA and notice that one of the main sources they anticipate is from receipt paper in their paper pulp that they use to make. And they don't intend to get that. They just want the paper pulp. So the more that we can change um, you know, our feedstock that we're giving them, the better are about 66 percent. For example, last year of our material recovered from here in the you know the chambers as well as your offices and homes, about 66 percent is paper. Um, so we still you know see that that's the majority. Although we see a lot of plastic packaging, there's a lot of attention on it. Most of our materials are paper. Um, and lastly, I'll just note that. Um, that this fits within several other ordinances that I'm in charge of implementing in many cases and communicating to businesses, the expectation that they ask customers and really give them the chance to opt in or opt out. And we've seen uh, to good effect, meaning business, businesses get what they want um, or, and save money often. Customers you know, don't have extra things, accessories like receipts. Bags, straws that they don't want. So that's we've implemented that in a series of ordinances. You might recall most recently our straw ban. We called it the Single Use Plastics, Toxics, and Litter Reduction Ordinance, which we implemented in 2019. And it basically invited um, and required food businesses, that is, to give business give customers the chance to opt in or opt out to accessories, condiments, usually in like a self-service station. So I just bring that up as an example of like this is a, it's a pretty normal, I think, part of business, and we haven't gotten a lot of pushback from businesses about implementing that opt-in option. But um, really welcome the commissioner's sort of thoughts on it and questions. I think Maria in particular is here to answer questions um, generally about the bill and implementation and the studies they've done. And then my colleague, Polly, is here also with her experience in toxics reduction and the impacts of bisphenols. Great, thank you so much, Hillary. Thank you very much, Maria, as well.
1: Um, I think at this time, can we open it up for commissioner questions? Okay. Commissioners, uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena.
5: Thank you, President. Appreciate the presentation. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm all for it. I, it's like almost a no-brainer, but I'd be remiss because of my purview as a commissioner through the small business lens. I just had a couple questions. I saw in the support there's a lot of um, you know green and recycling supporters. How was the feedback from like small business associations throughout the state? That's one question I have and then the second one would be in these studies is there any undue burden particularly to businesses of color and underserved communities if any. I'm just I I THINK NOT, RIGHT, BECAUSE you are PRINTING LESS PAPER, LESS less COST, BUT JUST UNDER OUR PURVIEW, JUST WANT TO SEE WHAT YOU SAY.
12: YEAH, I MIGHT DEFER TO MARIA. YEAH, I'M HAPPY TO ANSWER THAT,
11: uh, COMMISSIONER. SO uh, WE HAVE NOT uh, RECEIVED ANY FORMAL LETTER uh, FROM THE SMALL BUSINESS ASSOCIATIONS. WE HAVE, THOUGH, BEEN IN PRETTY FREQUENT CONTACT WITH THE BUSINESS STAKEHOLDERS. Um, including the Retailers Association, the actual paper manufacturers, um, and I think Salomber Ting, in all of the environmental legislation that he's had, uh, that he's done in the years that he's been in office, has been tried, has tried to be very receptive to how this would apply to businesses that may not have a lot of resources. Um, I think that's why you'll notice that the bill, in these kind of two parts, the toxic chemical Mm -hmm. part and then the separate part, which is the offering Mm -hmm. of the receipt option to the consumer, they're split, so that small businesses wouldn't have to be um, burdened by the, um, uh, the option to essentially upgrade their point of sale system to accommodate if a uh, consumer does not want a receipt uh, for that system to not immediately print something. Mm-hmm. And it was in response to um, kind of concerns that we had heard from the business stakeholders that that might uh, potentially impact um, small businesses. I think on the BPA and BPS piece, um, in our conversations with the paper manufacturers, they've actually been supportive of the ban, um, and they had asked just for that ban to be extended to 2025, which is what the um, which is what the bill does now. Um, originally, the bill banned the use of both BPA and BPS by 2024, but given um, the feedback that we got from stakeholders about the supply of paper. Uh, We extended the kind of full bisphenol ban to 2025 to ensure that there's enough supply out there for all businesses to comply, since that's a provision that applies to both businesses large and small. Great. And uh, sorry, Commissioner, uh, I believe you asked if there was any undue burden that this would place on um, businesses of color, and it is not our offices, uh, it is not to our knowledge that this would um we do think that uh, banning the use of uh toxic chemicals on um on the receipts themselves would actually help uh, protect a lot of communities of color from exposure to these chemicals particularly since uh the CDC data shows that um cashiers are disproportionately impacted by um exposure to the actual receipts by virtue of their job and i believe uh data from one of our partners in um, breast cancer prevention partners that showed that like 70% of cashiers were women, a lot of them were of color. Um, And so we're hoping that this kind of protects really our frontline workers.
5: Thank you very much.
10: Great,
1: thank you. Commissioner Zuzunas. Thank you
10: both for um, presenting to us today. My first question is kind of similar in the sense that I know this has been, an attempt for a couple of years now. So, um, are there any changes that you see relevant to the small business community that have been made in this legislation to make it feasible that you haven't already mentioned? That you think it would be help us better communicate why um, this you know this bill is here now and why it's feasible now that we can kind of um, yeah.
11: But, um I think the the biggest, I think, amendment that is relevant to the small businesses, business community is the one that I mentioned about the $25 million cutoff. Um, I think the other thing that's kind of important to note is in kind of what you had mentioned, Commissioner, is that this bill is a multi-year effort. Um, someone were t- attempted to do this in 2019, and there was a lot of pushback on the bill, uh, particularly due to concerns about the supply of paper without uh, BPA and BPS and also the cost to businesses to be able to accommodate for just asking a consumer whether or not they wanted a receipt. Um, and I think what we've seen since 2019 is that there's been this kind of market movement away from using these toxic chemicals in, in receipt paper. Um, I think there was a the Ecology Center out of Michigan just released a report uh, on receipt paper and they tested a whole bunch of businesses um, and their receipts for BPA and BPS. Um, and what they found is that um, there's been a decrease in the use of both BPA and BPS since um, their original study in 2017. And that uh, since their original uh, 2017 study, um, they found that 20% of receipts actually use safer chemicals than BPA and BPS. And so what we saw from that is that um, the pressure that maybe was initially started in 2019 by Sonoma and also all of the other environmental partners who have been working on this issue for far longer than our office has, has moved the market in a direction where now there's more supply of uh, the BPA and BPS-free paper. And I think that with this bill passing, it will show that the California has a vested interest in protecting consumers uh, from these toxic chemicals, and that would move the market to continue to provide uh, this paper at a rate that might be more affordable than, say, in 2019, when the supply was maybe lower. Yeah. Um, so we're hoping that that would facilitate the ability for small businesses to be able to comply with this specific provision of the bill, which is um, specific to them. Okay, and yeah. And all of the other businesses.
10: That was kind of my que- next question that you answered, is how much more at scale is the alternative um, receipt paper, and is it, um, you know, available in in, a, in the commercial market and, um, and accessible to small businesses, you know? Because a lot of times... Um, Small businesses are having to pick up their materials on their own. We don't qualify for the minimums mm-hmm. of distributors and corporate producers. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, where it might be at scale and accessible for a bigger business, it might be harder to acquire for a smaller business. So um, that was my question about that the alternatives um, and if there's also a cost analysis about that that you happen to have on hand, of the the difference um in in the paper products and also if you've done any studies to give us a sense of um I know you mentioned one about um the kind of makeup of of the majority of the receipt papers that people are using but um I I don't think it's intuitive that a small business knows the chemicals in and certain mm-hmm. things like this so um is it gonna, you know, blindside people, or is there gonna be like a really easy, you know, way that the city will help point, or who, you know, whatever municipal or state body is is doing the education, gonna point them to these alternatives? Just like any more info you have on that would be helpful.
11: Yeah, um, I think on the cost analysis, I can get back to you, commissioner. I don't have anything on hand to um, show the difference between the cost of. BPA and BPS free paper w- versus um, others, with, with ones with BPA and BPS. Um, but I think, kind of to the point that I was mentioning, um, when, and what we've seen, not just with this bill, but I think with other bills that we've done um, on toxic chemicals, is that when there is this kind of larger mandate from the state to move away from using these chemicals in products, that kind of gives the market an incentive um, to start developing these products. Mm -hmm. Um, that comply with state law. Um, And because now it is kind of state law and they have to do it, that increases the supply and therefore makes it a little bit cheaper. So I imagine that by the time that the um, the 2025 date kind of becomes effective, the cost of the EPS free paper will be cheaper than what it is maybe right now in 2023 because of this kind of new market level.
4: Um, and I think the other
11: thing to notice because we're not the only ones doing it, since the state of Washington is doing it, and then other states, including the state of Illinois and Connecticut um, and the EU, have also already taken action on the use of these chemicals on thermal paper, which is the larger paper user receipts. Um, we think that this is really just moving the market in that direction, and hopefully will make it more affordable. But I think certainly if I can find um, the cost analysis of the difference between the papers, I'll, I'll send that over to you.
10: OK, um, thank you. And my last one before I turn it over to Director is, um, this is kind of the doozy for me, because I went through um, the California litter and recycling reduction, um, <laughs> You know, CalRecycle being the enforcer on our San Francisco small retailers having to um, assume the responsibility of res- of, re- of CRV recycling mm-hmm. and the enforcement in particular by the state was atrocious and I don't say that lightly it was like um, we had um, sting operations by member by CalRecycle that were going into small stores in the middle of lunch rush and you know interrupting them with their responsibilities of you know um, and then if they said wait a second, you know, giving them violations, we had um, a lot of cultural sensitivity issues where CalRecycle um, you know and um, enforcement was um, going into businesses that didn't sell alcohol and forcing them to like take, you know, alcohol bottles back. So my question is mm-hmm. who's the enforcement body for this? Um, where do the enforcement funds that will be attained um, are, are they going to go and and yeah, what that kind of rollout to help businesses comply is going to look like?
11: Right. So I think um, I can answer the enforcement and penalties question, um, and I definitely defer to our partners at the City um, Department of Environment in case they have any um, uh, thoughts on the outreach uh, part of your question. As far as enforcement goes, uh, the bill just specifies that the Attorney General, a DA, or um, kind of local council can enforce um, or assess a civil penalty for noncompliance with the bill. Um, It is not up to um, a department. So there's no, CalRecycle wouldn't be overseeing this, um, nor would, say, the Department of Toxics, DTSC, because it's a chemical bill. It's only if the AG or a local council wants to. Potentially sees that a, a business might not be complying, then they can take action. Um, the civil penalties, at least from my understanding, would be collected by the entity that is assessing the fine, um, so that would go back either to local council or the AG. Um, and I can look at the language. I think that's that's our understanding of the of the law. It doesn't specify that it's going to a specific um, account or anything.
10: Okay, so the the field kind of enforcement is going to be. Kick down to municipalities. Yeah, it would be
11: either the AG or the it specifies AG, DA, county council, or city council. So essentially, um, they have the deference to go and um, confirm if they if a business is non isn't complying or not complying. There's no active monitoring. monitoring okay, so they the just get tipped.
10: Itself. The AG gets tipped off. There's not going to be like, uh, undercovers. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. ca- well, like like the like the c r v one okay,
1: yeah, definitely
10: to the,
11: to the a g and all of the local council's offices on on that my understanding is that that would not be the case okay. um it would just be if they foresee or, or if the a g wants to, they have the authority to assess fines, uh for non-compliance, and I would imagine that would come after an investigation um to confirm whether the business is
10: com- uh complying or not okay okay, thank you so much.
0: I apologize. We have to take a a quick pause because we don't have quorum at the moment. One of our commissioners just stepped out. I'm so sorry, Maria. think we're going to take an official break that way mm-hmm. live streaming stops for a minute
12: okay
1: I need to announce that we're back, or oh, we're back. We're back on <laughs> game on.
12: Um, Maria, did, did... did you conclude, Maria? Because I can touch on a bit on education, at least the tactic we've taken in the past for state statewide um, initiatives. You done with that piece yeah. on the oh, yeah. enforcement? Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, typically we, we rely on sort of the marketplace moving with the attention that something like this might get, you know, Newsom possibly signing it, that really does shift the market for what they will, the companies get the, you know, especially given Ting's office engagement already with paper manufacturers. Um, we really rely on that up front. And in, in as much as I, my capacity, my team's capacity, I do have connections with like the restaurant depots of the world. they like Jethro because we work on other foodware ordinances primarily. And so in that capacity, I can definitely communicate with them and just, hey, what do you, you know, kind of a, it's more just a, a courtesy to see to your point, small businesses don't have the c- capacity to be sort of Hunting down, oh, is this a compliant product, et cetera. So I attempt to do that um, in that role and with the contacts that um, Sunset Super, you know, the the bigger generators for our, our restaurant depots of the world. So that's pretty much the extent of it. And then, if there's a you know opportunity with maybe a you know some other capacity we might have or interest, you know, we do hear from members of the public. So if somebody's interested in it or our libraries, I can think of our own municipalities and municipal operations really taking the lead on it. That's one thing that we really um, take seriously at our environment department and at the direction of our supervisors. So that's one thing I'll definitely commit to doing is um, being sure that our municipal operations are. ONLINE AND LEADING THE WAY ON THAT. GREAT, THANK YOU. Um, DIRECTOR TANG?
13: THANK YOU. Uh, I THINK YOU BOTH TOUCHED UPON THIS A LITTLE BIT, BUT JUST WANTED TO GET INTO IT A LITTLE BIT MORE IN TERMS OF THE CONVERSATIONS WITH THE, YOU KNOW, THE RECEIPT PAPER MANUFACTURERS Mm -hmm. AND TO WHAT EXTENT THAT THEY ARE KIND OF CHANGING THEIR PRACTICES. Um, I KNOW THIS BILL um, PLACES THE uh, ENFORCEMENT ACTION ON THE BUSINESS, uh, WHICH I KNOW IS NOT IDEAL. So just, you know, wondering to what extent, um, you know, those conversations happen with the manufacturers of the receipt paper and how much they're willing to, you know, move the needle themselves. Mm -hmm. Because it's, I mean, if the manufacturers don't change their practices, it makes it really hard for the business. So if you could elaborate on that from both, maybe both offices, that would be great.
12: Yeah, sounds like Supervisor Ting's office or has, uh, has considered that. Yeah, I'm happy to chime in on that.
11: Um, So our office has had a couple of conversations uh, with the American Forestry and Paper Association as well with a couple of the other kind of receipt manufacturers. Um, And they have been supportive of, um, they are supportive of the bisphenol ban Um, and they had just asked Mm -hmm. for more time because they are still developing um, thermal paper that doesn't have BPS. Um, And so we're confident that by the time the bill becomes enacted in 2025 that supply will be there. I think it's also... um, helpful to know that since a lot of businesses on their own outside of this bill have already kind of moved away from using these chemicals, uh, we're hopeful that that has also kind of moved the market to, you know, kind of push all of the manufacturers to um, start creating this paper because it seems that both businesses and the state have an interest in protecting consumers. Um, We are continuing those conversations right now, I think, where the bill is in the process. It's passed through Policy Committee and it's currently pending a hearing in the Appropriations Committee, and we're vetting um, a couple of considerations um, along with this number thing, on changes to the bill to address stakeholder concerns. Um, I think the only thing that the manufacturers have flagged um, is the use of um, you, you know, unintentional and intentional uh, uh, chemicals, essentially saying, you know, we're not adding this uh, chemical to the product anymore. Um, but sometimes the, you know, chemical can be found So we on the product because it gets contaminated in the process. Um, and so we're working with them to make the bill as, you know, implementable um, as possible in a way that's both feasible for them to produce the, the, the paper that rest, um, the kind of retailers and small businesses need to comply, um, but also in a way that's kind of capturing someone retains intent, uh, which is to kind of move away from using these chemicals altogether.
13: But those conversations are ongoing. Thank you. And then in terms of enforcement, um, assuming that will I'm just assuming it'll be handed down to local you know, jurisdictions, so most likely SF environment, um, I'm guessing, but I know that's probably still in the works. I'm just wondering what enforcement would look like. So for example, would someone come into a business and grab a sample of the receipt paper and is there, like, how do you test for all these things and would it be on the spot? Would you have to, bring it to a lab. I actually don't know how that works, so if you could explain that.
12: Given the scale of the businesses that be impacted, um, especially with the opt-in, opt-out, you know, those two components, both carrying a compliant receipt paper that doesn't contain the bisphenols, I would anticipate partnering with some of our um, more statewide and national organizations that even Maria, you know, quoted in the research because they have an, a vested interest, and so they'll likely take the lead on that, aspect in particular, testing. Um, some of them, they mentioned the Ecology Center, um, Environmental Working Group, and probably other state organizations that are leading on this as well. You, the manufacturers will see the writing on the wall, and many chains in particular will be re- requesting this. And I anticipate that the the market will shift. And, um, on the opt-in, on that opt-out, that is a really sort of like a local experience that I would anticipate um, Customers will tell us about, um, or I might just experience as a San Franciscan, you know, seeing that oh they may need to adapt um, that option to give the customer the chance. Um, and like I said, we already have several other ordinances that sort of guide that interaction with a business, so we already get feedback from residents, um, and I expect we can we can integrate that fairly easily in our in our communications, but it won't be you know, a huge priority given we haven't gotten the direction from our supervisors uh, to take that on as a huge lead, but as I started my comments with, it does have the environmental benefits, so we do want to communicate that to businesses. So I think we'll, you know, our team will take that in the context and uh, and also take leadership from our small business community and your, you as commissioners on how we might communicate that best to businesses.
1: Right. Um... Let's see, I don't have any questions. Um, Is there anyone, can we open it up for public comment?
0: Are there any public commenters in the room? If so, please come forward and public commenters on the line, please press star three to be added to the queue. There are no callers on the line.
1: Great, um let's see. this is a discussion as well as an action item, so should we
0: take action? You can do either. you could you can officially take action or you can provide feedback or um, suggestions yeah in, in whatever form you you want. Okay. can I just ask one more sure
10: Claire, I mean, I know this might be obvious, but it might not be to the small businesses. This doesn't include um, business receipts, like that businesses need to keep for their own records um, when when they do a transaction.
12: Not that I know of. Uh, Maria might point to the nuanced language of that. But I understand it's around the interaction with a customer. And if the customer declines, they don't print a receipt. But it doesn't say that they, for example, a food business that might need that receipt to fulfill an order right. as part of their workflow. Um, I, don't anticipate that restricts it, but Rhea can jump in. Yeah, um, I agree. It's
11: our of the language that a business would be able to retain the right to keep uh, receipts for their own kind of internal accounting. It's more on um, just the customer side. Um, we really have framed the bill as like a customer choice bill. So you pose the question to the consumer, and then the, the customer uh, decides whether or not you want it. But a business would still be able to retain uh, receipts for their own record keeping.
10: Okay. I just wanted to make sure that was on record, because I know if that wasn't made clear with outreach, a lot of businesses Mm -hmm. would be scared.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So, um, Commissioner, would it,
12: I mean... I can share context if it would be helpful, that our department um, offered to the State Legislative Committee a support position, and in communication with Carrie, it became clear it would be great to um, consult the Small Business Commission and get your feedback. Um, and so that's our that's our plan now is to bring this to the state legislative committee on Wednesday with a support position. So I think, you know, you all can take action on it. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much. I think that is helpful to give us some context on how we should maybe proceed. I mean, I it sounds like we have some thoughts already around it, Um I'm pretty comfortable with going ahead and, and asking for a motion I think a motion of support uh, of yeah like asking for a motion of support from our commission to um, to move this along um, can,
10: can we, is there a second can we like add language to that support like support with an encouraged you know specialized small business outreach kind of can we Add that to it
1: I think so yeah I
10: think, yeah that'd be friendly yeah
1: okay. <laughs> okay I think it would be just helpful for us to have some sort of like something at the end of this because this mm-hmm. I do appreciate that you're bringing this to us at this juncture to you know for us to be able to um understand and talk through some of these um you know some of these things that I know our small businesses are going to be asking mm-hmm. and I'd like to be able to point back to to our position on it at this point too so, okay,
0: I'll second. So, motion to support this with suggested uh, additional outreach to small businesses about compliance. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Do we vote yeah. on that? I can, I can read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Diggerson is absent. Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert's absent. President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? and Vice President Suzuna. Yes. Motion to support approved.
12: Great, that's great to talk with all of you commissioners and I'll be sure to reflect your support in our form to the State Legislative Committee. Great, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you
1: for your time. Thank you, Maria.
11: Thank you all so much. Appreciate the time.
1: Okay, um, item number four.
0: Item 4, Local Business Enterprise Program Presentation. This is a discussion item. The commission will hear a presentation and learn about the Local Business Enterprise Program which helps small businesses compete for city contracts. Presenting today, we have Stephanie Tang, Director of the Contract Monitoring Division. Welcome, yeah. Director Tang.
1: People up
14: here. Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioners. My name is Stephanie Tang, and I am the Director of the Contract Monitoring Division. We're part of the City Administrator's Office. I'm here for this discussion item about the City's Local Business Enterprise Program, which we call the LBE Program. It's the first of many acronyms, so I'll try to spell them all out for you. Um, This is a small business inclusion program for city contracts, and today I'll explain why small business inclusion programs matter, some fundamentals to help you understand the LBE program, and then I'll also connect you to some resources so you can learn more. So the LBE program is one of many small business inclusion programs. These programs exist basically at every level of government. There's federal programs, there are state programs, there are local programs. Each of the program has its own set of requirements and a process in terms of how it's operated. The federal SBA, Small Business Association, has a program. The state California Department of General Services, DGS, has a program. San Francisco, Oakland, these are just some of the examples. These programs exist because of a series of facts and realities that I don't need to tell you, but are important for us to just get on the record here. Um, small businesses, as you know, can be the lifeblood of a community, the backbone of a neighborhood, and you know, really contribute to the economy and employ residents and participate in civic life. We have a bunch of small business owners here as this commission is an example of how small business owners contribute. The, we really need to have a vibrant community and support the good economic health of our city, and that's through small business. But the other reality, as we heard from the previous discussion, is that small businesses operate at a different economy of scale from other businesses and often experience higher costs. You know, the ability of how you can change the market is often different, and your purchasing power is often scaled to your size. So small businesses can be at a disadvantage in certain situations. So as a result of this competitive disadvantage in competing for government contracts, governments have intervened and created small business inclusion programs to ensure that purchasing and participation in government contracts have a more level playing field and to create equal opportunity and equity in public contracting. This slide is to situate you within the larger kind of historical arc, Many small business inclusion programs were often tied to racial and gender equity programs. For this particular program, San Francisco had a minority and women-owned business enterprise program called an MBE for minority, a WBE for women um, business enterprise that was administered through the Human Rights Commission. But after the voters of California passed Proposition 209, this required policy change and ended the ability for the city to operate a preferential treatment based on race, color, ethnicity, national origin, and that applied to both public employment, education, and also contracting. The city of San Francisco had to change its M and WBE inclusion program and finally did so with the elevation of the local business enterprise, the LBE, as being the category of consideration and contracting. In 2012, the Contract Monitoring Division, CMD, became the administrator of the local business enterprise program. And then I just added the final bullet so that you can see that these equity programs are still a hot topic given the most recent Supreme Court ruling against a private university's um, racial preference admissions program. So I'm talking about city contracting and that is where you know the city is the funder and the buyer of the of the program, of the of the good. The city spends north of two billion a year on goods. It also spends more on construction services, and we buy, you know, everything that you can think of, but not actually everything. <laughs> um, and almost every city department engages in some level of contracting or grants. If you think the city might be a possible client for you, then the slide is for you. The top link is about how to navigate contracting with the city. This is a relatively new website. It's been up for about six months um, to help you understand how to contract with the city. And then the links at the bottom of the page are how firms can search for opportunities, either that are currently advertised or for what our forecast is for future opportunities. And these are all relatively new websites. So let's talk about the LBE certification program. First and foremost, firms want to be certified because they are likely competing on city contracts, either at the prime level, where the city is their client, or at the subcontractor level, where they're providing services to a higher level entity. Um, What happens is that a firm applies, it gets reviewed by the CMD certification team, we do a site visit, and then a determination is made. The certification duration is often between one or three years, depending on the exact circumstances of your business. And then a firm is also eligible for a WBE, MBE, or OBE designation. That's for Women Business Enterprise, Minority Business Enterprise, and OBEs, other, which is usually neither women nor minority owned. As for the program criteria, this is based on your principal place of business, your headquarters. You must be operationally independent, Exist for at least six months, have a license in the categories that you are requesting. For example, if California requires a license, then the city wants to know you have a license before we hire you. And then you also prove your experience um, in the categories you want. The city doesn't want to be your first client. While this program is called a local business enterprise, a San Francisco-based firm making hundreds of millions of dollars um, could indeed be a local business, but it can't get certified as an LBE through these requirements through Administrative Code Chapter 14B um, because they don't meet the both that they are here in San Francisco as well as the economic thresholds. For each certification category, there's a designation of the size of each firm. We average your gross receipts for five years. This terminology is a little confusing. So micro is the smallest of the smalls. Small is the medium of the smalls. And SBA is the largest of the small businesses. And these thresholds were most recently increased in 2021. So let's talk about the program benefits. There are four major categories of benefit. The first benefit is the LBE discount or rating bonus. If you're bidding as a prime contractor, this benefit is typically 10%. For the purposes of deciding who is the lowest bidder where cost is the only criteria, um, then you use the the bid discount. If there's a rating process where you end up with a score, then we use a rating rating bonus. So I'm gonna give you an example because it's a little confusing. So suppose firm A is a large company and they bid a million dollars. And firm Z is an LBE and they bid a million dollars and a million dollars and one dollar. So if you look at it at face value, you think the LBE is more expensive. However, because they're certified LBE and this program exists, what you do is that the awarding department takes off 10% off the cost of the LBE firm Z's, and then their bid is, comes in at $9,900,000.90. Now this exercise in discounting the cost is just for determining who wins. So in terms of actual payment, we'll do the actual payment of what? But it's just making sure that because of the cost disadvantages that a small business doesn't end up in a situation where they can't just compete on cost. If this were a proposal-based process, they would do the same process except they would apply it to scores. So, for example, if Firm A got 100 points and Firm Z got 99 points, they would apply 9.9 points. 9.9s are 99 10% of whatever my example was to the score so that firm Z would be the apparent winner. The next benefit is that there's also, moving to the right, is the LBE subcontractor and subparticipation requirement. So for given contracts, CMD sets a requirement for the project team to use LBE subcontractors. Most projects end up between about 10 to 25%, and this participation ensures that there are LBEs participating at both the prime level as well as the, at the subconsultant level, and so it makes sure that LBEs can participate in all varieties of contracts. The next benefit I'm going to mention is the LBE Micro Set-Aside Program. These are informal contracts, which means they are of a smaller dollar value, and the department is limiting the bidding pool to micro LBEs only. So larger firms actually are not eligible to bid, so they're exclusively awarded to micro LMEs. The final significant benefit is the contractor development program. Um, your office's small business advisors and OEWDs programs are serving generally the general where the client is the general public. Um, and oftentimes folks need assistance in dealing with the city as a regulating entity and as a compliance entity. What's different about the technical assistance of this program of CMD is that this is where the city's the client. So the city is the person who's purchasing your services. So generally the questions relate to bidding requirements and other things for the city as a client. I'll have a later slide where I'll discuss the the elements of the contractor development program. Now, I've talked mainly about contracting where the the city's letting out the contract, but there can also be benefits for non-city contracts where the LBE program is also recognized. And this is for projects such as um, OCII, the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, and also other private public projects. And these are mainly the kind of development deals that are happening where other projects are going up, where LBE can be included as part of their small business inclusion program. OK, so let's return to the four prongs of the contractor development program. We can have technical assistance, which is similar to consulting, like helping with marketing and estimating and cash flow. Um, But keep in mind, this is often related to construction, so it's very kind of specialized knowledge. There's also a surety bond program through the Office of Risk Management, and the department provides bonding assistance um, and backs some of the bonds. There's also a mentor-protege program that pairs an LBE with a larger contractor for a two-year mentorship relationship. And finally, there's the Contractor Accelerated Payment Program which is a pilot program funded by the San Francisco Community Investment Fund, and it allows for construction firms to receive contract-based financing, often called factoring or invoice-based financing, for city-based contracts, and it improves a small business access to capital. We're also working on other access to capital programs as it relates to city contracts, um, which is kind of a new frontier for CMD. Um, Before I leave you, I wanted to make sure you knew how to get more information. The the first is that if there is an actual bid, there are a team of contract compliance officers at CMD who can provide information to bidders, and they work with the city departments, the primes, subs, the LBEs to help understand and help navigate the city process. There's also an LBE advisory committee that meets every other month, and the next meeting is August 3rd at 10 a.m., there's also an LBE directory so that um, the firms that are certified are publicly searchable so that they can be found for work and for teaming. And we also host regular workshops every month. Um, on the first Wednesday of every month at 10 a.m., we have host a workshop about how to obtain certifications. And the second Wednesday of every month, we host a workshop around requirements and bidding on city contracts. And this concludes my presentation. Thank you for the opportunity to share about the local business enterprise program and the potential benefits to the small business community. I look forward to answering any of your questions.
1: Thank you so much, Director Tang, for coming in today with this really robust presentation. This is very helpful for for me, where I have very little experience in the LBE program. I know my co-commissioners have much more experience (laughs) in this, Um, and so, Um, ARE THERE ANY QUESTIONS, um, COMMENTS? YEAH, COMMISSIONER ORTIZ-CARTANIA.
5: GET THE MICROPHONES CONFUSED. Um, (laughs) DIRECTOR TANG, THANK YOU FOR THE PRESENTATION. Uh, I WANT TO THANK YOU, VERY THOROUGH, VERY KNOWLEDGEABLE. Um, long time ago I was an LBE business and this program really set me apart like I couldn't do the community work I do now if it wasn't directly because of the LBE program because that gave me you know mentorship with bigger primes and success story and you know now I'm here in community being able to afford to give my time to community um, I had a technical question I just because I got curious the micro and the small I know that there's a cash thresholds but does it matter at all in the participation? Like, do you get any preferential bonuses or anything, or it's just a designation of a title?
14: Um, that's a great question, and thank you for your feedback about the program. The micro and small is very confusing, because it's a certification by category, not by firm. So depending on the category that you're looking for, you, it's actually possible to be a micro, a small, and an SBA, depending on what work you do at the same time. The particular micro benefits are a couple. One is that for the micro set aside contracts, those are only open to micro firms. So if you're a small um, for that particular category, um, then that is, doesn't assist. There, Most recently in the code change, there was a change to have some projects which have within the you know 25%, for example, to have a micro sub goal and a small goal And then the SBA goal. So, depending on the kind of work you have, some of the primes may want to, you know, they get more credit if you're if the the micro goals are often larger. So, they want you to in this particular category. But in general, as it relates to being a prime on the larger contracts, whether you're a micro, a small, or an SBA, it doesn't it doesn't have any material difference.
1: Mr.
9: Gregory. Um, Thank you, Director Tang. I appreciate you taking the time and putting this great presentation together and um, informing the Office of Small Business Commission what the LBE program is because I have recently found out that city departments through San Francisco are super unaware of what the LBEs are or micro LBEs are, which is shocking to me, but I guess I live in this LBE bubble that I think everybody knows who we are. Um, so it's not really a question, it's just that I'm wondering why there is such a disconnect between city departments, you know, like um, I was recently in a meeting at patrol Yard for the patrol Yard project that's coming up. And as I was sitting in a room with um, minority LBEs, the staff, leadership staff at SFM, or Petrail Yard, they, um, you know, were laughing about how, oh, we didn't even know what LBEs were till two weeks ago. And then as one bragged about um, their racial equity training, and how they're hiring so many people and if you don't make it as a LBE come and work for us I just wonder where is the disconnect like if that's the language that is being said in the city agencies how can we inform them more about what this program is what it does what it does for our community because I see it as like an ecosystem, right? When you hire the small businesses, we put the money back in, uh, rather than somebody from Livermore coming here and taking the money out. I just I I don't, I'm like, am I missing something? Why does nobody else get it? Um, And how can we get the other city agencies on board? Because you mentioned OCII, and you know OCII has an SBE program, and when the contractor or the GCs are coming into the city, all they see is SBE. They don't look at anything. Oh, it's SBE. We're going to go and get somewhere cheaper. Even though I know that's not what OCII means, but I just feel like why is there such a huge disconnect? I guess that's my, and that's not really a question, it's a statement. And And what can we do to resolve that or help it or YOU KNOW, I KNOW AT THE BIOSOLIDS, THE SFPUC, THEY'RE PROBABLY THE FIRST CITY AGENCY TO JUMP ON BOARD WITH THE 14B um, CHANGES IN THE LEGISLATION uh, AND REALLY ARE DOING A WONDERFUL JOB WITH DOING THE MICRO SET ASIDES AND, YOU KNOW, HOW GREAT IT WOULD BE IF EVERY CITY PROJECT did the same thing, because we're sitting in a city right now where they're talking about reparations, diversity, equity, inclusion, and this would be such a huge part if, especially the micro LBEs, where most of them are minority companies, would have consistent work. I think that's it for now <laughs> thank you sorry to hear my rant but it's, it's just you know last week was a rough week for me and i just don't understand how the disconnect between the city agencies or i always am hearing what why they shouldn't hire an lbe or a micro lbe instead of finding ways of putting them to work
14: but thank you can i can i respond a little yes sure. okay <laughs> um i think that you've you've identified what I've also identified, right? And that, you know, as a as a city employee, sometimes the question around what is the mission of what we're trying to do, and I think sometimes the departments have forgotten that the mission is not just to build this project or just to do this thing, but it's also to exist within a larger ecosystem, as you said, of San Francisco. And um, I think as you've heard about, I really make, make it a point to talk about the mission of the program and the why we exist. And I think something that city staff and even my own team often do is that we get too much to what and we have forgotten about why. And if you just get to what, then it becomes all about enforcement and it becomes about a compliance and it becomes about a form and it becomes about making sure that things are done right in that particular way. But we have to remember the why of what we're existing. And if we don't have that as our North Star, then how can you decide which of the forms is most important? And why, why is the form designed this way? And I think that that's something that I appreciate that you also carry as a message, which is that ultimately it's my belief that putting people to work is one of the best forms of economic stimulus. And, you know, there's an enormous dignity in work. Right. And that is a way in which we can we can have our city be a great city by, you know, small businesses have people in the community working. You know, you live in the community, you participate in community life. And that's a belief that I think that we both share. Ultimately, the the campaign in order to have city departments um, kind of take on this 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 idea so that they can carry the message also to the prime contractors is ultimately an organizing campaign. It's person by person. It's having people understand the mission. Um, And, you know, I want to thank you for what you've been doing in carrying that message in all these different places and making sure that the community is carrying the message not just on their own behalf, but on behalf of the other businesses in the city, similar to your business. And um, those are some of the things that, you know I wish for and that I hope that we are working on our team to create a culture change um, so that there is that understanding around why small businesses matter how the city can do its part to make sure that there's inclusion in that and um, how this will ultimately benefit and help our city really grow and thrive and be the city that that we're all hoping to make so um Thank you for participating in that as we figure it out, person by person.
9: Uh, sorry, one more thing. No. Um, yes, yeah, speaking of cultural change, thank you for um, bringing that up because I think that's a huge part uh, of this, with the city agencies, like I said last week, I said in a lot of meetings where they keep talking about what, what micros are capable of doing, like, oh, we gotta make sure they're capable of doing this instead of changing the word to their capacity. And that's the culture change in the language that needs to be done because when you have higher ups and development teams carrying that language on down, it's in their mind of what these micros can do, or are capable of doing. Um, so you know, whatever I can do to support that, I know people are listening are tired of listening to my rants, but. Um, it's it's a huge part of San Francisco, and the pride that people feel when they run, when they drive by 1550 Evans and say, I built that, I put the plumbing into that, is huge for uh, the community. So thank you.
1: Any other comments up
10: here? I'll, I'll just say um, thank you for, um, the contracting monetary division, you know, your office has been uh, I know trying to be more public facing. Um, you had a really good like forum, I think it was last year where you did a lot of outreach um, to make sure that everybody you know was on it and I think you know traditionally it's like only if you know, you know kind of office. Um, so I appreciate that that you all are trying to, do that for you know that public-facing education and stakeholder engagement, and I just wanted to let you know it's noted um, and appreciated. Um, and I mean, even if we can be a better resource to you, I mean, we can make resolutions here, right? Maybe non-binding, but it's something that will show our priorities as a small business commission to um, the agencies and and the board and whatnot. So, commissioner, you know, maybe something to think about if there's. YOU KNOW UM SOMETHING THAT WE CAN HELP PROMOTE UM OR ENCOURAGE WITHIN HOW THE CITY DOES BUSINESS MAYBE THERE'S SOMETHING WE CAN YEAH DO THERE TO SUPPORT THAT'S IT Mm
1: -hmm. COMMISSIONER ORTIZ CARTAIN
5: MAYBE WE TIE IT TO DIRECTOR SALARIES AT THESE VARIOUS DEPARTMENTS (laughs) UM (laughs) COMMISSIONER GREGORY I APPRECIATE YOU CHAMPIONING AGAIN I JUST WANT TO BECAUSE I KNOW YOU'RE NOT THE DEPARTMENTS THAT do not necessarily reach out for lbs but your department's awesome and whoever's watching this the lbe program i just can't say it enough your department's welcoming your department it's easy to navigate you know so we appreciate you and i think I, the city needs to do a better job to to make sure we keep san francisco dollars in san francisco you know and that's what LBE does because it has a a quantifying effect when you have a small minority business do a job, it stays in the neighborhood that money stays in our neighborhood, it doesn't get extracted. So we should be like LBE all day, every day. So I appreciate you, Director Tang and, and Commissioner Gregory, thank you for, for always championing this and always bring this please don't stop in it. and if we could help, you know, we, we need to make this a priority.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate your presentation because it helps me understand. Like when you're, you know, when you're bringing things forth, I can now really visualize. Like, what is it that you know is the issue? Um, this is a very basic question, but like, are there requirements for every um, like project that a certain portion has to? be? I, I don't know if I missed that. So
14: there are in terms of when you think about the requirements in terms of LBE participation, mm-hmm. yeah. it depends on the type of solicitation that it is. So if it's a commodity solicitation, you can't really divide up commodities, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's a you know a janitorial service, or if it's landscaping, or if it's building a public work, then there will be um, both the benefit for bidding as a prime, as well as the sub-participation requirement, where There will be, you know, a $5 million contract, but 20% needs to somehow be used for LBEs, and it's up to the prime to decide how to divide up that work, right? So some primes may decide, you know, if there's 10 locations, maybe have an LBE be the lead at one location, or they might decide that there's a service they're going to use across the 10 locations, right? Um, the The city doesn't require, allows the prime to decide how to meet the goal and doesn't set forth the best way of doing it because the city city doesn't do the work, right? The, you, know, you need the business owner to decide this is the best way to engage the small business community. So there are requirements, and that's what I mentioned, between the 10 and 25% in terms of what the LBE requirement is. I, I did want to mention, though, that for the micro set-aside contracts, they do not have LBE goals or requirements on them because the prime is the LBE. Right, So because the prime is going to be doing the work, the only requirement is that um, they do at, at least 35% of the work um, so that they're not just hiring somebody else to do everything and where their name is just kind of being used, but someone else is doing the work. So there are requirements. It depends on the type of project. It's scope of work specific. And that's what our contract compliance officers do to understand what the scopes are and what the LBE availability is, and sets the goal based on that number. <coughs>
1: Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, and who is, or how do you help um, businesses like, build capacity to be able to engage in this process and engage in, in the work that's being asked of them? You know, the capacity building question
14: is great because each, bu- each business really has its own particular thing that it's facing in terms of capacity building. For some, it's access to capital. It's making sure, do we have enough money? I want to bid on something bigger, but my money's tied up in another project. For other firms, it could be a skill set that maybe they don't have. So, for example, a lot of firms are really wonderful at doing the work, but they're not great at running the back office, Mm -hmm. right? So they may need help in running some of the back office stuff. Um, For some, it could be that they are running the back office, but they're so used to being the boss, they really need some help with some of their coaching and retaining people, you know, and they're not trying to develop people, because, you know, as a business owner, I'm sure you've all experienced that at some point you also have to let go a little, and some people really have trouble with that, right? So it really, we kind of take a holistic look to see, well, what's going on with you? Which aspect are we going to work on as it relates to capacity building? And then, and, then, um, and then we kind of move from there. And that we also, I want to um, thank the, the Office of Small Business. Their staff can also be very helpful in some of the capacity building and coaching and guidance and navigating um, in terms of understanding where do, where do you go from there. Um, I, I wish I wish there was a one-size-fits-all because it would be so much easier but once we start to find out what's going on um, there's often multiple things that people want to work on um, and then we're connecting people to resources, mentors, um, technical assistance, you know, QuickBooks class, it really kind of depends on
1: where they're at. So it's kind of like that slide that you had with the multi, okay. Um, and. Are there issues like in terms of like when people kind of like grow like this? I I find this obviously like in a lot of like programs, right? It's like you have a lot of benefit in a certain category, but like the goal is to continue to grow. And then you grow out of that category and then you're somehow penalized, right? Like, is there a sense of that happening?
14: Yeah. Thank you for raising that. There are there are some LBEs who decide I don't want to ever graduate. Right. I want to stay an LBE. There are other LBEs who say, like, I want to be as big as I can be. And one of the things, when, you know how I saw that, you saw the slide of the three different categories, the micro, the small, and the SBA. Um, to answer the commissioner's question, there's no real benefit for being a micro or small, but being an SBA is different in that there are fewer benefits. And the thought of creating the SBA category was to create kind of more of the off-ramp so that it was a little bit gentler, um, and that you weren't suddenly receiving no benefit through the program at all. So um, there, I have to say some, you know, it's, but that's ultimately the business strategy around, do people want to grow as, as bigger, or do they want to kind of stay within the program, and then that's ultimately a business owner's choice.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's where, you know, as a, as a larger question, right, like, is, is like, how do you support growth that doesn't look like a linear type of growth? Like, what does growth look like when, um, when we start to take a look at it holistically? And how do we keep that, like, mobility and that, that movement um, available for people? And, yeah. and incentivized as well, right? So. The other thing I will say about a lot of the LBEs,
14: we just did a, a mentorship meeting with somebody who had graduated from the LBE program, who was meeting with some of the LBEs talking about it. And one of the things that really struck me was how they had a business plan to grow out of the LBE program, but as part of growing out of the LBE program, they also had a plan of how to diversify, diversify their book of business, right? And that through having a different, more diverse book of business, they could graduate because then they knew that they weren't just benefiting from the LBE program, they were also gaining capacity and skills and also getting clients from outside the city. So, um, And once again, that's a business choice. Some people you know, are from here and they want to just work here. And some firms say, I'm willing to drive across the bay or, um, or work on other projects that are not just city projects. And that's a... Um, that is, that is something that we kind of struggle with in that it's not our choice, but we kind of try to understand where people are. But I have to say that um, that's the best problem to have. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that we have a lot of smaller firms that are just trying to grow bigger, um, that are not even close to deciding that one day I might be able to graduate. Um, so it's for us, I would say, our... our more pressing concern is making sure that our smallest firms are able to get on projects and get bigger first. Mm-hmm. And if I had to
1: prioritize our limited resources, that's probably where I would put them.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I just think it's interesting because then it's kind of like the the off-ramp including kind of like education or connections through regional,
12: mm-hmm. you
1: know, more of a regional network and relationship would be really um important because I think it's like we have a lot of programs to be able to help stabilize, help grow people at a certain level. But it's like, I think one of the things that we lack um, oftentimes when we do a lot of um, advocacy work is the ability to dream, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, what is that? What does that look like? And how could that be like, even, you know, how could it work for somebody, you know, um, beyond the barriers that we see up front? So, um, so yeah. That this has been very helpful for for me. I'm sure for many of the our our millions of listeners tonight, and um, and you know just to say like your presentation is excellent, and like the way that you've explained a very complex and like um, and challenging kind of like office and, and program. I think is has been really really. Um, outstanding so thank you so much for tonight um any other oh director tang
13: all right uh momentous occasion with two director Tang. yeah (laughs) Uh, thank you so much um and really appreciate the advocacy from commissioner gregory of course on this um and i think it's so nice to have it coincide with with relatively new leadership at cmd and commissioner gregory joining um i think there's been a lot of movement to really try to bring lbe issues to the forefront um, just for kind of educational purposes, um, and I don't know that it's changed very much over time, but if you could shed light on kind of the percentage um, of the different industries um, where, um, you know, city, um, LBEs buy for city contracts, for example. So for example, what percentage are maybe in construction or professional services versus say goods and uh, goods or um, commodities, um, because, you know, one one of the things I think it is helpful to understand the breakdown, also knowing that, um, you know, in terms of what we see, in terms of business registration in San Francisco, you know, it's very heavily food-based businesses, right? So it's not necessarily that most of the businesses that register in San Francisco will become LBEs. But in any case, if you could kind of shed light on that breakdown.
14: Yeah. Um, I don't have a great oh. this amount is. So it is construction versus non-construction. The way we, like city speak, is that we talk about Chapter 6, which means development of a public work, and then we talk about Chapter 21, which is buying goods and non-construction professional services. Within public works, we talk about either it's contracting, so you're like building the stuff, or you're doing the professional service. You're doing the architects and engineering work in order to kind of do some of the design work. Um, The Chapter 6 departments... Um, that's what we call them, are Public Works, Rec and Park, PUC, SFO, Port, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Um, and they are the ones who do the, who do the vast majority of the capital projects, the construction. The thing, though, is that it really depends on their capital deck in terms of what they have going on. So I would encourage you to go to that website that I put up of the, for, of the upcoming advertised, because when you go there, you actually can click into each each department of those big con- contracting departments to figure out what what they have going on so you can understand what's happening. Um, for the other goods, um, the chapter twenty one type of work, um, that's the um, that is done by the Office of Contract Administration. And if you go to that website um, that I had earlier, for the first time ever, OCA put together, a analysis of how they how their contract dollars were spent in the previous fiscal year so that is this what does the office of contract administration purchase for the city and county of San Francisco document and I, rem- I recommend you look at it because you might see your firm reflected there if you're in a non-construction type of work right depending on the service that you do so those are um, those are the answers in terms of. I wish I had the exact dollar figure on my fingertips, um, but instead, I'm going to point you to where you can find it. Um, and then also, if you look at the forecast, you'll get a sense of well, what's coming up, so that I can see my see myself um, in those future future opportunities.
1: Mr. Zunis,
10: are, are I I don't want to take okay. if you're done. I well, um, Director Tang actually brought up what I was thinking to ask as well, um, how do like small businesses find relationships with with city, um, you know, like buying departments beyond just contracts? Because we know that, you know, hiring somebody for your coffee meeting, you know, meeting coffee contract is not necessarily something that's always gonna be posted as a bid. So are there other um, means in which, you um, Small businesses can be networking or making themselves available. I mean, getting the certification and and being um, you know on a, a list, I guess, right? But are there other yeah ways that they can make those relationships?
14: So um, I'm going to answer it in two ways. The first is that. Um, you know, it might make sense to have somebody from purchasing come and talk about the different ways the city actually does purchasing. Because what you're describing with the smaller dollar contract purchases are what we at the city would call a prop queue. That's is like our lingo, um, which is called delegated departmental spending, where a department can choose to spend um, for, a, for a good, not for a professional service, um, for a good, can, can do that without doing all the normal bidding rigmarole. And so, for exactly what you're describing, you know, there's going to be, you know, we need to buy, there's going to be a staff appreciation and we need to buy, you know, food. We're not doing competitive bidding for that, right? We're reaching out to folks that we know who um, can provide a bid for that. And that is so relationship-based. And it's really a matter of who people have, who people know within the various purchasers around The other big thing is that then you have to get in the city system, and you have to get registered and do all those other things, right? And not all the businesses want to do it for kind of smaller dollar purchases. Um, You know, the last email I sent before I came here was about this very topic around well how do we get a list and what's the better ways in which we could be doing this and how do we make sure that our local businesses are engaged right you know why are we we should be ordering food from you know the local businesses in the neighborhood um and but we would have to do a push to get them in the city system and other such things so i wish that there was a way in which i could tell you this is how you how you network but it's the same it's like good old gumshoe work of getting to know buyers um but once you can advertise that you're in the that you're in the city system and you're compliant and everything, and you can just open a PO, then that opens the door because people are like, "Oh, I don't have to do any extra work. I can just like, you know, engage your business." Um, but that's those are some of my like tips in terms of purchasing. But they're not necessarily LBE tips, right? But they um, but that's really kind of how people yeah. get smaller
10: dollar contracts. Thank you. Honestly, that cleared up just so much for me. (laughs) So I think if we even just did a resolution as a public service announcement and just said, hey, guys, this is the difference between the purchasing department and the LBEs. You know, here, if you're this type of business, this is where you should look. This is a, you know, like that just orientation, I feel like is um, too too protected. You know, we need to um, let people know about that landscape that you just laid out, thank you so much.
14: Yeah, I mean, we, I, contract monitoring really works at the largest contracts, but for a lot of the small businesses, it works at the smallest dollar contracts. And there was someone who had an electrical supply store, and he said, I tried to get Public Works to come and buy things from my electrical supply store every day. Like, I would call them, and he's like, and it took me five years to get them to come in. But now that I have you know a term contract, he's like, they come in every day. <laughs> He said, but it took me five years of inviting them and trying to have them understand I'm here you know, on business on the street. There's also, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot around contracting. I used to be a contracts manager for one of the departments. So um, I very much understand the, the challenge of figuring out how to engage and figuring out how do I see myself and my business in a city contract, um, which, is,
1: which can be hard to do. Uh, Commissioner Gregory.
9: One more thing, speaking of that, but wouldn't it, like how wonderful would it be that anytime a developer comes into the city of San Francisco, that's what, and you know, I'm a trucker, so I'm like fourth tier subcontractor, and I'm still learning about the regular c- contractors and how it's played out. But I don't know who approves these developers to come in or, you know, a lot of it is private money and, you know, my goal has always been to that every single time somebody wants to build something in the city of San Francisco, somebody is saying, what are you doing for the um, businesses in San Francisco? What are you doing for the contractors? What are you doing for the truckers, the professional services? Because that is what is going to build the city up more. AND SO, YOU KNOW, I DON'T KNOW WHERE TO START THAT, (laughs) YOU KNOW, WHO DO I GO TO TO SAY HOW COME THIS ISN'T HAPPENING, I MEAN, YOU KNOW, um, WE HAVE THE NEW DIRECTOR OF OEWD COMING FROM TISHMAN INSPIRE, SO SHE KNOWS EXACTLY HOW IT LOOKS, AND IT'S JUST, um, YOU KNOW, THAT'S WHAT I'M HOPING TO SEE IN THE FUTURE, (laughs) THE NEAR FUTURE, BECAUSE I FEEL LIKE, (laughs) You know San Francisco maybe have 20 years of more building and then it's gonna really slow down Um, so for me it's important to get the push now then wait you know five more years
1: Mm. let's see any other any other
0: comments Um, let's open it up for public comment any public commenters in the room please come forward um, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, great. Thank you very much.
1: And, you know, again, thank you so much for your, your presentation. And thank you also for my commissioners to really, you know, bring a lot of things to light. It's a lot to think about. And um, it makes me very hopeful for San Francisco. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. Next item, please.
0: Item five, approval of draft meeting minutes. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve the June 26, 2023 draft meeting minutes. Um, Any questions, commissioners, on the draft meeting minutes? No questions, public comment? Any public commenters in the room? Seeing none, there's none online either. Public comments closed. Great, would somebody like to make a motion? for approving the draft meeting minutes. Motion by Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Seconded by Vice President Zazunas. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter's absent. Commissioner Dickerson's absent. Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert's absent. President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. And Vice President Zazunas, Yes. Motion passes. Great, uh, next item. Item six, general public comment. This is a discussion item, allowing members of the public to comment generally on matters that are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction, but not on today's calendar, and suggest new agenda items for future consideration.
1: Great, Any, mm. anyone here for public comment?
0: Seeing none in the room, and uh, there are no callers on the queue.
1: Great, um, public comment is closed.
0: Um, next item, please. Item seven, director's report. This is a discussion item.
13: Um, Director Tang. All right, good evening, commissioners. So a couple of updates here for you. Um, One uh, is regarding some new grants that have recently launched. Uh, You probably read about this or heard about this um, either in the news or in our newsletter. Um, So one of them has to do with uh, business training and the other has to do with storefront vacancies. Um, so they both launched this month um, and total roughly four million across uh, the two programs. Um, there's huge demand already, um, and I'm sure many of you are involved in um, helping businesses uh, through the trainings and the applications. Uh, The other set of grants have to do with shared spaces um, and two programs also recently um, either reopened or there's one reopened and one new. So the one that reopened is the equity grant program and the new one is the shared spaces uh, for activations that take place inside um, shared spaces. Um, This particular uh, grant program um, uh, has funding through the planning department. Uh, Regardless of where these uh, grant programs uh, originate, uh, we do have them on our OSB website. So um, under sf.gov forward slash OSB, under um, there's a, a tile that talks about grant program and resources. We list all of the grant programs available to small businesses there. Um, Next, uh, First Year Free, which is the program that waives um, permit fees for either a new business or an expansion into a new storefront. Uh, We advocated for the expansion of that program for, uh, well, to continue it indefinitely. Uh, But we have so far been able to, um, as part of the budget process, expand the program for another fiscal year. But we are going to continue um, still exploring ways to expand this program indefinitely because we've seen just how helpful this is uh, for businesses not bringing in any revenue while they're starting out or even expanding and um, needing to get through the permitting process. Uh, Next, regarding the awning amnesty program, um, as you recall, there were uh, approximately 200 businesses that received complaints for having an awning installed without permits. Finally, uh, the legislation to create the awning amnesty program passed at the Board of Supervisors recently. Uh, We're still awaiting for the ordinance to take effect which will most likely be mid to late August. So at that point, we will share information in our newsletter about how to go through this program, uh, as well as links to pages that um, take you step by step uh, to uh, come into compliance. Uh, Next, uh, regarding impact fees, Uh, I know that when we think of impact fees, we generally think of them being assessed on new development. Uh, But during one of our merchant walks, we actually uh, discovered uh, or realized, or I should say for myself, um, was reacquainted with the fact that there are also impact fees assessed for businesses in certain parts of the city if you are changing from one use to another. Fortunately, OEWD had already been working on legislation to address impact fees to spur more development in the city. And so we are actually currently uh, working to amend this legislation so that we can hopefully eliminate impact fees for businesses that are changing um, use uh, and this applies to neighborhoods such as the Mission, Soma, Visitation Valley, and many others. Um, so, as mentioned, the legislation is currently making its way through the Board of Supervisors. And um, we do know that um, you know, this will be a huge benefit and, and want to remove this deterrent for businesses that are coming into some of these neighborhoods where these um, change of use impact fees are assessed. And then lastly, just to bring to your attention um, something that uh, was brought forth to us from a merchant's association. Uh, It has to do with web accessibility and a state bill pending right now, AB 1757. Uh, So currently pending at the state legislature is um, this bill that establishes a standard uh, for website accessibility on business web pages and also makes third-party websites uh, liable for inaccessibility. So we've, uh, as mentioned, heard from at least one of the Merchants Association about this pending bill and concerns that, as currently written, it would mandate conformity with Internet accessibility standards that um, they believe are quite high and uh, would need to be implemented by businesses as of January 1st, 2024, so really close around the corner, um, so uh, you know, what was expressed to us is that uh, this standard uh, may not be achievable by small businesses, especially in this short amount of time, and could potentially make more lawsuits inevitable in the small business community. So this bill is currently pending at the state appropriation, sorry, Senate Appropriations Committee. Um, SLATED TO BE HEARD ON AUGUST 14TH. Uh, WE WILL BE TRACKING THIS AND OF COURSE WELCOME FEEDBACK ON THE PENDING BILL, BUT JUST WANTED TO MAKE SURE THE COMMISSION WAS ALERTED uh, TO THIS. SO I um, WANT TO THANK uh, THE GLEN PARK MERCHANTS ASSOCIATION FOR uh, BRINGING THIS TO US. AND uh, THAT IS IT FOR MY uh, UPDATES. THANK YOU. GREAT, THANK YOU. Um, COMMISSIONER ortiz cartagena
5: THANK YOU, DIRECTOR. I had TWO QUESTIONS. Um, so, I could respond to businesses. The first year free, I know the business registration. that's pretty straightforward. But if they get a new storefront, like those BPA permits, you know, the DBI permits, is that free wave TOO?
13: That is supposed to be waived, yes. And um, the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office is in the process of developing a more comprehensive list of all the permit fees that would be that are covered under First Year Free. But generally speaking, um, any permit that you need to start your business or to expand into a new storefront, including building permits, say like for tenant improvements, mm-hmm. those those are covered.
5: If if what would you recommend if they you know just for the process of not stopping the project they paid will they get reimbursed eventually at some point All those yeah fees? so okay.
13: if something happens so for um, uh, how you get into the first year free program is is upon business registration and every applicant is asked you know do you want to opt into this program some people don't really understand this program and so they might have accidentally wrote no but <laughs> once you know we verbally explain it to them they're like oh actually yes of course I would want my permit fees waived um, or there are cases where um, just in the computer system where the permit tracking is done for your building permits. It may not have been flagged or checked off as first year free. We, um, our team of permit specialists do go back and help to gather refunds. So certainly you can email our office, um, sfosb at sfgov.org, and we can help um, with the refund process if you provide us with your business um, account number, um, your project location, and um, maybe a list of the permits that you had pulled and paid for.
5: Perfect. And then second question, um, I didn't catch the Senate Bill AB. What was it? Oh, AB seventeen fifty seven. Seventeen fifty seven. Um, would you know off the top of your head, like if if you if you think a small business wouldn't become compliant in this short turnaround, just get rid of their website temporary? Would that like be like a kind of fast fix, or or that would also not make you compliant? I, I just, or if you don't know, that's fine. Because that, that's really triggering right now because, you know, people, you know, go on Wix or GoDaddy and just throw up websites, you know. Yeah. And.
13: Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a challenge, whether it's web or even your physical storefront, right? Mm-hmm. And I would never recommend that people take away, um, you know, like a particular service, right? Especially if, you know, you need to generate revenue and attention and your website brings traffic to your business. Um and I think one of the other challenges is that there's so many different types of disabilities, right? So someone might be visually impaired. Someone might be able to see, but they can't handle the flash, um, flash like features in in a web page, or, you know. So there's so many different types of accommodations that you have to make. And I think that's what is so daunting for the small businesses. It's not like it's just one thing. Um, so uh, I personally would not recommend taking down a website, but I certainly know that leaves you know, certain businesses potentially vulnerable in case someone happens to complain and stumble upon your website for not providing accessibility over the web. So um, I think this is why, you know, there's so many discussion, like so much discussion is needed around this particular set of requirements in this bill. Um, so we do know that some of the uh, merchants have reached out to the state delegation, you know, just to make sure that they're aware of the concerns from the small business community, especially the timeline, I think, is really uh CHALLENGING WITH JANUARY 1st AROUND THE CORNER.
5: YEAH, YOU DEFINITELY, yeah. LIKE, SCARED ME RIGHT NOW WITH THAT. AND I APPRECIATE YOU FOR BRINGING IT UP, BECAUSE IT WAS AN ON RADAR IN GLEN PARK MERCHANT ASSOCIATION. BECAUSE THIS COULD yeah. BE... Uh,
13: WE APPRECIATE THEM BRINGING uh, THIS TO US, TOO. THANK YOU. 57.
3: 1757.
13: 1757.
1: OKAY. Um, ANY OTHER QUESTIONS? NO COMMENTS? Um, can we open it up for public comment Uh, no public commenters coming forward and none are in the queue great well um, public comment is closed and thank you very much director Tang for for your presentation Um, clearly this is gonna drive us to action (laughs) so um, let's see next item please
0: Item 8, Commissioner Discussion and New Business. This is a discussion item allowing the President, Vice President, and Commissioners to report on recent small business activities, make announcements, and make inquiries of staff. Great. Uh, Commissioners,
1: any? Um, Commissioner Gregory. Um,
9: I just want to thank the Director Tang and the Mayor's Office for doing the merchant walks. Um, I GET A LOT OF FEEDBACK WHERE PEOPLE ARE GETTING, THEY FEEL SEEN AND HEARD WITH ALL OF THIS, YOU KNOW, THAT NEGATIVE STUFF THAT'S GOING ON IN SAN FRANCISCO, THAT IT REALLY DOES MEAN A LOT TO THEM, SO um,
1: THANK YOU, I JUST WANTED TO SAY THAT. THANK YOU. Um, COMMISSIONER ORTIZ-CARTANIA.
5: I JUST WANT TO REPORT BACK THIS WEEK, LAST WEEK, ACTUALLY, um, the mayor side, the official CBD for the Excelsior Commercial Corridor, and I want to give um, special shout-outs for the people that that made that happen. Um, Maribel at EAG, Chris Coras, and Supervisor Safa's office. This was a lot of work to convince property owners along the corridor to get an additional assessment tax. So it, it works. I mean, it, they have some pilot program, kind of quasi with um, Urban Alchemy. They do a lot of cleaning and connecting. You know unhoused people with services and it's just it's needed the commercial corridors needed and I just want to give a shout outs to all those people that made made it work and the hard work behind it so thank you
1: yeah it's really big
10: I I have a question about like I mean maybe this is off topic but I'm just curious like Of the property owners out there, you know, the commercial property owners out there. Because that's, like, the part of town where we have a lot of, like, homeowners, like, legacy, like, you know, homeowners and business owners and property owners that are, you know, from equity communities and stuff. I
5: I think this is definitely for Chris Gores. I mean, Uh, he spent hours and hours (laughs) and hours. and um, Right, because... Maybe, you know, even Excelsior. buy him a drink or something because he had to really convince I went to these property with owners. I'll, I'll oh, so him so then. so you know, um but <laughs> um <ask> unfortunately <laughs> fortunately one thing in the Excelsior, there's a lot of like still family, like yeah. you know, older families that hold it in mm-hmm. trust, but they're engaged. Right. Like older Italian, right. you know, people that that they're really about the neighborhood. Like I'll give you an example. One of the property owners, the Fergusi family, they used to have the flower shop next to the mortuary. He's almost a hundred and he gave it to a nonprofit as opposed to formula retail. And he didn't care about money. He just said, this is gonna serve the neighborhood. This is what I want in my building. So you still get that level of engagement along that corridor, which maybe it's not seen in some corridors, but-
10: Yeah, it's just like a special area because that's where like all those like cultural um, halls are, you know, like the Basque Hall, the Sons of Italy and stuff, you know, so it's like unique property owners over there, I would say. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Thanks for that update.
1: Um, I guess I can just share that this past weekend I went to um, Chinatown Chinatown for CYC's um, Craving Chinatown um, event. And you basically pay like $12 for a ticket and you get to experience, like there's like all these booths down Waverly which is closed. It's like two blocks of... Um, restaurants that have, like, little tasting bites for everybody, so for a $12 ticket, you get one, you get a dessert, appetizer, well, appetizer, entree, dessert, and a drink, and I was completely, like, full, like, after, I didn't even, I think I gave away one of my drink tickets or something like that, but it was, like, it was such a great event to um, just get the community out, and um, to engage small businesses and have them share, you know, some of their specialties and things, and it was just a very well run, well executed event. Um, you know, and Mayor Breed, Assessor Walking um, Torres, they were all out to celebrate as well, and um, Supervisor Peskin. So it was a nice um, event in Chinatown, um, and I love seeing all of these kind of intersections, right, with like small businesses and um, and all of the. The activation. So, um, the other piece that now you know, I think you're you're reminding me about is, I wonder um, how much we have in resource to be able to help with like succession planning or like helping communities kind of understand how um, how they can move forward because there are many business owners who I think are maybe. You know, just have that on their horizon, and we don't, and business owners as well as property owners, um, because we don't really have like a lot of, um, like, I don't know, help to figure out exactly what that looks like, like for our small businesses that, you know, people, you know, who are here earlier with their legacies, like, they have actually a lot of knowledge on, like, how they've been able to pass on businesses to, like, employees, to people in the community, like, customers we've seen have taken over businesses. So it doesn't have to be this very, again, kind of, like, um, linear kind of path of passing it on to your children. And so I think that would kind of be an interesting... I, I don't know, an interesting place... I don't know, for us to gather information as well as like be able to help the community understand like what could the future of our communities kind of look like? Um,
13: oh, Director Ting. Um Thank you for bringing that up. Um, certainly, we've actually been talking about a lot in the context of our legacy business program, but you know, I can certainly see that um, not just with legacy business, but all types of businesses. So we actually recently, um, Rick, um, who was here earlier, um, he actually recently posted a resource um, on our website, on our legacy business page, about succession planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a new resource we've added online. Uh, I will also say that um, he's personally been involved and try to support even employees taking over a legacy business, you know, literally spending a Saturday going to help, you know, just be there to support um, in that process of talking through with a business owner and an employee trying to buy a business. So um, we're very uh, much wanting to be further engaged in that process. Um, and um, certainly I know that could be a topic here as well, just um, it's kind of the different options. Um, but we also do have baked in through... Um, the various advisors um, through the small business development center um, how it is to think about succession planning as well so mm-hmm. those resources are available but yes if um, if this commission would like to talk more about it we can certainly bring that up here too yeah
1: i think that would be interesting just because like even as small business owners like maybe you know other small business owners might be inspired to help Bring a legacy business into its next iteration, or things like that, and it would be helpful for all of us to kind of understand how are people, you know, looking at at that um, in terms of like like even basic things like valuation. Sometimes it's like the legacy business is like valuable in a very different way as well, right? And um, and the potential is very different. So um, I think you know those are that's all I have. In- terms of um, bringing forth items. I'm sure I'll think of things once I leave and I'm on the bus, but <laughs> as far as tonight goes. Um, any public comment? All right, let me see one oh, more actually. Thing. Sure.
10: Um, just wanted to make an announcement. On August 1st, there's I Love Tenderloin activations in the Tenderloin. They're doing like a block party, a lot of stuff for youth, and... Um, I know there'll be small business particip- participation too. Um, so just yeah, flagging events in the Tenderline on eight one. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say is I, I personally wanted to um, just give a, a memoriam, um to a small business owner, um, legacy small business owner that had just passed, and today's his funeral. Larry Hugesian. So the brother of Harold Hougesian, who's very involved in um, South of Market, their big four-generation flower business, um, Armenian small business that's really involved in, in a lot of um, South of Market business activities. So um, Larry Hougesian, um has passed, and he um, you know, is really known in the rock and roll community. Um, they've been... they. They've done flowers for probably everybody you can think of in the city. So, just wanted to give that um, memoriam to um, the family, the Hugasian family, and um, Hugasian flowers. Yeah.
1: Um, any public comment? There are no commenters oh.
0: online or in the room.
1: Okay, public comment is
0: closed. Um, I guess next item. Item 9, adjournment. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide.
1: We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. If you need assistance with a small business matter, continue to to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Uh, Meeting adjourned.